Thank you all. So, oh, Jason was like the master at going from like having people crying and then having people laughing, and I'm just not good at that, but I'm going to try. Um, so I would say typically Thanksgiving weekend is a time where most of us could agree it's a pretty good thing, mostly a positive thing. And a really big part of that image is the Thanksgiving table. Um, and when I think of a Thanksgiving table, I literally think of unending spreads of desserts. I think of extra deviled eggs, every type of pie imaginable, people that I love sitting around it. And being the sentimental sort that I am, I'm sure that wasn't obvious based on the last four minutes, right? Being that, um, I was excited. I was like psyched up last year when Ben Rector, who's an artist I really love, he released a Christmas album. And the first song in the album was simply entitled The Thanksgiving Song. And I was really pumped for two reasons. First of all, I'm pretty sure it was like the only Thanksgiving song that had dropped since like 1844 when uh, Maria, uh, Lydia Maria Child wrote Over the River and Through the Wood. You know, it's not like a season where we're like, man, there we've got a whole list of Thanksgiving bangers that we rock out to. Like, that's just not a thing, right? And so, so I was psyched that there was even a song about Thanksgiving. But then when the lyrics started... Oh my gosh, the lyrics just highlighted so many of the most joyful parts of the holiday. I'm not going to play the song, but I did want to share some of these because, oh, it's just, it's just so good. Uh, so like verse two of the song, it says, watching football, watching families grow, the old kids table, and they all have kids of their own, starting to see my grandfather in my nephew's eyes. Mom still can't talk about him and not almost cry. And this chorus, it says, so fill your plate, fill your drink fill this house with family, the kind of love a thousand miles can't wash away, because the older that I get, I see that life is short and bittersweet. Thank God for this Thanksgiving day. Just such good, such good stuff. Family, overflowing dessert tables, football games, the big kid's table, and you add that to the fact if you go on YouTube, I think one of the coolest lyric videos I've seen in my entire life. Such cool stuff. But I know that and we're going to throw a picture of a Thanksgiving table kind of up on the screen here, right? So when you see this, some of you see that and it's just a feeling of joy. But for others of you, you know, maybe you don't. Maybe there's a history of conflict. And when you think of Thanksgiving, you think of coming together with a bunch of people that you've had disagreements with and you felt disapproval. Maybe instead of like connection being rekindled, you know, it's just a reminder that uh, it almost reinforces the rejection you felt leading up to that in the years prior, or, you know, maybe your family that's supposed to be the place where you are the safest, and it's supposed to be the most nurturing, welcoming place, it's the place you feel the most left out. You know, some of us have experienced that. And as we go into today, this next part of this series, I'm thankful that Jesus kind of shows, you know, um, that's not how it has to stay. Because who did he go after time and time again? He went after, and he sought out the isolated, the rejected, the lonely, the hurting, that's who he went after. And even for those of us who are maybe stuck in a mindset of self-rejection, you know what I'm talking about, self-rejection, so like every situation you go into, every group of people, every new place, you just assume, I'm not going to fit, they're not going to embrace me. Even when we're in that mindset, Jesus says, no, 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 I, I can work with that, because if you, if you will follow me, I'm going to show you who I made you to be. I'm going to show you what I made you to do. And I'm going to show you who you can do that with. And in today's story from the Gospel of Luke, we're going to see that one of the things that we can be most thankful for as followers of Jesus is that his healing does not stop 
that skin deep level. It goes deeper. And the parts of us that feel the most unworthy and the most insufficient and the most hurt and maybe the most too, like almost too far gone, man, that's where he does some of his best work. It really is. And so, uh, God, we're going to crack your word open. Holy Spirit, we ask you to do your thing and just uh, reveal to us what you want us to reveal in this time. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, if you flip open your Bible, Luke 17, starting in verse 11, those verses that Josiah read oh so well and oh so joyfully. Uh, you can go hard copy. You can look on screen. You can go on your phone. You can go to InsideSCC.org and click Take Sermon Notes. And this whole series, this follow series, it's built around the fact that when Jesus uttered those words, follow me, to his disciples 2,000 years ago, it changed the course of history, not just for them, but it does the same thing for us because we get the exact same invitation, follow me, and we get to answer that. And I always kind of like to give you the backdrop of what's been going on. So when we get up to Luke 17, all the chapters leading up to this, basically Jesus and his disciples are slowly meandering their way down towards Jerusalem. And when you look on this map, uh, so he's been up in Galilee, that was kind of his home region, and they're going to find themselves right on the border, kind of between Galilee and Samaria. And up to this point, uh, Jesus has been dealing with a ton of conflict, ton of disagreement, and the people he's butting heads with the most are the religious experts, the teachers of the law, the religious leaders, and Jesus is, along the way, he's been teaching his disciples and anybody following all about discipleship, that this is what it means to follow me, to follow after me and be my disciple. And over and over, a theme that keeps coming up is rejection. He's saying, hey, you've seen it. I've been rejected. You've been rejected. You're going to keep being rejected. That's going to be an inevitable part of following me. But you don't have to be afraid of that. I'm not afraid of that. So that's been the backdrop and then this encounter in Luke 17 happens. So let's start with verse 11. All right. Whew. It says, Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. And as he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. And they stood at a distance, and they called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. And so... They've made their way from up north, working their way south. They do not have a good history here in Samaria. Jesus has already been rejected there before. And Luke, for some reason, he doesn't tell us what kind of village this is. Is this a Jewish village? Is this a Samaritan village? We don't know. But before he can even get inside the walls, here's this group of 10 men calling out to Jesus, Master, have pity on us. And these guys had it about as bad as you could have it. You see, leprosy... It's kind of like a catch-all word for a lot of different skin diseases, uh, but it was nasty physically, like some of the symptoms that you would deal with were bad, but the thing was it went way beyond being a horrible, awful physical ailment. Um, I actually heard a pastor, there's a couple different pastors I listened to just preach and unpack this, that some of their insights are going to come through. I'm going to try to pass them on today. And uh, one of them is Pastor Alistair Begg. And when I listened to his message on this, he literally just called this 10 men in quarantine. And that is pretty much what their life was. Their life was like a perpetual, non-ending quarantine. We think, man, seven to ten days, that's bad, that's rough. Throws off my life, trying to get my kids where they need to be, doing school, doing work. But for these guys, 
They couldn't enter a walled village or a town, which is why they're shouting at Jesus saying, hey, have mercy on us. Don't go in the village. We can't come in there. And they had to keep their distance. They're being respectful. And so many of these symptoms, they're social symptoms. They're not just physical symptoms. I mean, you had to live completely separate from your family and your neighbors. The only people that you had around you were other people who had leprosy, other lepers, couldn't socialize, couldn't attend worship, and you were pretty much left on your own to depend on the mercy of other people from a distance to stay alive. And to top this all off, in the, the book of the law that the Jews followed in Leviticus, it said when you were a leper, you had to keep your hair a certain way, you had to dress a certain way, and when you went around, you had to call out this one word over and over, unclean, unclean. You had to leave no doubt at all times to people, this is who I am, this is what I have, you need to keep your distance. You know, it was just isolation was the name of the game. We think modern day, it's, it's kind of a tough thing. Like we have COVID, you know, but even you think like day-to-day stuff, when you talk about the isolation and the struggle that folks have when they are trying to get out of poverty or trying to face addiction, you know, there's a lot of parallels here to the isolation they're feeling. So maybe if you're trying to bring it modern day, that's where these are at. But they're separated. They're miserable. They're having to live like this. But somehow, some way, they have heard that Jesus, God's been doing some stuff. Maybe they'd heard the story. If you go several chapters before in Luke 5, Jesus healed a leper, and he didn't just speak to the leper. He put his hands on this leper to heal him. You did not touch lepers. You, you just did not do that. But Jesus did. So somehow they're thinking, you know, if there's anybody who can do something about this, it's this Jesus guy. And when they approach him, what term do they use? Did you catch that? They say, Master. Master, have pity on us. And when they use this term master, it's like they know he's got some kind of authority, he's got some kind of power to do something about our condition. You know, one writer put it this way, he said, in effect, they request from Jesus a merciful visitation from God. And so how does Jesus respond? Well, verse 14 tells us, it says, when he saw them, he said, go show yourselves to the priests. And as they went they were cleansed. <laughs> and so kind of our first insight that pops out of us is, man, you know, Jesus sees these lepers when most people wouldn't see them and probably give them this much time a day. I mean, Jesus just makes a habit of just seeing rejected people that the world's going to overlook. These 10 social rejects that are on permanent quarantine, they get Jesus' attention. They get a hearing with the master himself. And what he has in mind is to give them more than what they think he might give them. I was in a spot shortly after I graduated uh, college. I'd moved back here to Shelby County. I was living with my mom and dad. Uh, Sarah and I were getting ready to get engaged. She was finishing up school. I was working here. And uh, I can remember these were the days before you could stay on your parents' insurance until age 26. They actually passed that law a month before I turned 26. Thank you, U.S. government. You're a real pal. And I can remember that I got a policy, like one of those policies that like when you just have practically nothing to pay for health insurance, it was like a major medical policy that the deductible was like higher than what I owe on my house probably. It's insane. And so I had this and I had to go to the dermatologist and I was dreading this. I mean, you don't really look forward to going to a dermatologist, but I'm going and I'm like, I don't know how I'm gonna pay for this. This is gonna be horrible. And so I went, I have the appointment, it's fine. And they hand me the little slip of how much it was. And I look at the number 
and it was somewhere in the 300s, but it might as well have been 2,000. And I'm going, I don't know how my debit card is going to hack that right now. And I remember walking to the lady that was kind of in charge, you know, of the payment and stuff to the end. And I just decided I'm just going to be straight and just say, is there anything you can do to help out with this? Because I knew she was the one calling the shots. And so I, I remember walked up and I said, hey, um, I kind of had my little card. I was like, this is the insurance I have. And uh, is there anything I can do like payment wise or anything that can adjust this? And she looks, she goes, oh. And I see her look at my card. She goes, oh, this is the insurance you have? And I'm thinking, oh, she knows how bad it is. She must have a kid my age. <laughs> You know? And she goes, well, let me look a second. And she turns around and she chatted with the lady over to the side. She comes back, she goes, oh, well, you know what? If you have that insurance, then, and she leaned over and she just scribbled that number out, that 300 odd sum. And she rewrote another number and it started with a six and it only had two digits. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's amazing. I can hack that. My bank account can, can take that. And I remember walking out of there just like, oh, and I felt so seen. I felt so cared for by that woman. She had the power and the authority to stick it to me if she wanted, but she didn't. She just showed me mercy and she was gracious. I just, I never forgot that. I don't even know her name, but I can still see that lady's face. And all I can think is, you know, that's maybe the feeling going through these lepers' minds when Jesus just sees them and understands them. And so, you know, Jesus has this habit. He, He sees us at those times. He sees us in our need. But did you notice what he told them to do? What does he say? He doesn't say, hey, come here so I can lay my hands on you and pray. Uh, I want you to see. No, here's the deal. I want you to go show yourself to the priest. Um, and that, that's what I want you to do. So he tells them to go do this, and they do it. It says they're obedient, they listen, they head to the priest, and what happens on the way? They're cleansed, right? They had faith enough to obey. And the reason this is so big to us, we're like, why would you go to a priest? Why wouldn't you go to a doctor? Well, the priest was the one, if the priest saw uh, that you were a Jew who had had leprosy and you didn't have leprosy anymore, they could pretty much give you the blessing. Hey, you're good, you're healed, you can go back and have your normal life. So you can go back and you can live with your family, you can go back and get a job, you can, wor- you can work again, you can worship again in the local synagogue or the temple. Your perpetual quarantine is over. It was a beautiful thing. Now here, here's the second insight that hits us is, a lot of times you look at these guys, they're given this instruction, they're told to go, and they listen, and it's, you know, it's often easier to have faith when you're sick than when you're well. Think about this. It's easier sometimes to have faith when you're sick than when you're well. You would think, no, 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 it actually, no, no, that's not true. It, it just breaks down my faith, but sometimes it cuts the other way. Sometimes when you've been through a period of struggle or sickness, it takes away the distractions, it strips away all of those false securities, the things you try to rely on, and it brings you to a point where you can really be obedient. I love the NFL, I love NFL history, and any of you who are football fans, even if you aren't a football fan, there was this guy, I think he played from like 1985 to 2001, he was a quarterback, his name was Randall Cunningham. And if you ever watch old highlight reels, he would have these amazing plays. He was a running quarterback, but he had a strong arm. He was electric. Like, his teams could be terrible. People just loved watching him play. And he was a little cocky, a little full of himself, had gone through some injuries. He lost his starting job. And in 1995, he just retired. He was done. And it seemed like, well, that's kind of sad, kind of fizzled before he should have. But he gets this call, and he ends up making a comeback as a backup quarterback with the Minnesota Vikings. 
And Randall goes in, and in his second year, he gets a chance to be the starter. And he's going in to meet with the coaches to make the offensive game plan of how are they going to attack the opponent in this game. And the offensive coordinator, knowing kind of the history of him, kind of says, hey, Randall, uh, what are you thinking that you, you want to do? Like, do you have any input as the quarterback who's going to be running these plays? And in the past, Randall probably would have been like, oh, yeah, yeah, and he would have spouted off and make me run this. But he looked at the coach and he said, coach, doesn't matter to me. You call the plays, I'll run whatever you want. It was a big moment. And he went out and he led the team to be 15-1, and one, one play away from the Super Bowl, best season he ever had. And it's, a, it's to the point that his struggle had almost broken him. It had cut the other way. You know, it made it so he could look at the coach and say, I'm not going to buck your authority. I'm going to trust you. You tell me what play to run, and I'm going to go run it. And they did, and it was, it was beautiful. And stories like that, it, may, it shows, you know, you may be sitting there. I feel rejected. I feel isolated. My Thanksgiving was awful. It was not good. I did not love the way I felt when I was around those people that were supposed to be the dearest to me. But, you know, when Jesus starts doing what he did in the way he did, you see, you know, maybe the struggle is bringing me to the doorstep of being faithful. You know, maybe today he just wants you to do what they did. You know, cry out, listen, and obey. And I don't know what that looks like in your life. But, you know, I, I can say this. The last three or four days, I've cried out a lot. I've listened a lot. And I'm up here trying to be obedient, <laughs> doing the best I can. So when we go on with this, verse 15, it says, One of them, one of these lepers, when he saw that he was healed, he came back praising God in a loud voice, and he threw himself at Jesus' feet, and he thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. So you got this one leper out of ten who has this realization that he's been healed, and he stops what he's doing, and he goes back. And I'd love to know how that worked. Was he just walking along, trying to find the priest, and all of a sudden he's like, whoa, wait. Whoa, that patch is gone. I can feel the nerve endings in my fingertips and my toes. I'm, oh my goodness, I'm better already. I haven't even gotten to the priest yet. And what does he do? Well, clearly there's something more important to him than just the healing. He doesn't just settle for the healing. Go, yes, he goes, I got to go back to the one who helped me get this healing. He turns back and he goes to the healer. That's the third thing we see today is that the real prize for this Samaritan leper, it wasn't the healing, it was the healer. That was the real prize. It's the same thing for us. And you look at what this guy does. Like, he goes all out. He doesn't just say thank you. His response is over the top. He gives praise to God. He worships is all he's got. And he, he just doesn't get distracted. When, he, when you fall at someone's feet, when you fall down, that is a sign of surrender and submission. It basically acknowledges you are the authority. You gave me this. I'm going to show you reverence. None of this is about me. Yeah, it was a posture of gratitude, sure, but there was something way deeper. And did you notice how Luke held out this one little detail? It's almost like as an afterthought. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. It's like, why did Luke wait on that? Why did he press pause and just tell us this now? Well, I think there were a couple reasons. One, it shows just how horrible it was to have leprosy, because Jews and Samaritans, they did not hang out. 
this one Samaritan leper and those nine Jewish lepers, they should not have been buds. But leprosy was such a nasty disease and so isolating that all the other social barriers that existed of ethnicity and tradition, they went out the window. It was basically like, you're one of the enemy? Oh, you have leprosy? Dude, let's hang out. Because if we don't, there ain't nobody else we can hang out with. So it shows how nasty this is. But the second thing is, it's almost like Luke's priming the pump, helping show, you know what? The mercy and the grace that God has for people it's going to go and it's going to be offered to folks that you didn't think were going to get it and you sure didn't think were going to respond to it. C.S. Lewis said one time that when we all get to heaven, that we'll probably be just as shocked by who is there as who isn't there and vice versa. And Luke wants them to see, hey, the Samaritans weren't supposed to get it, but this Samaritan, he got it. And I feel bad for him here's the reason I feel bad was when this Samaritan, when Jesus told him, hey, go show yourself to the priest, he probably stopped and had to scratch his head a little bit because those nine Jewish lepers, where do you think they went? They went straight to Jerusalem, probably. They went straight into the temple and they saw the priest. Well, a Samaritan leper, he's not allowed to go in the Jewish temple. He's got his own temple that's back on Mount Gerizim in Samaria. So he's probably thinking, wait, do I go to this temple? Do I go to this one? He probably had a little bit of a conundrum but where did he go? Whose feet did he end up at? He ended up at the feet of the greater high priest. We just covered this in Hebrews, in one of our last series, Hebrews 5 to 7. He is the greater high priest, and whether he realized it or not, that's where he went. That is where he ended up, and he did not get distracted by the healing. He looked and said, I know who healed me. I know where this came from. It's kind of like if you've ever been at a nice restaurant. I have not been to many cultured restaurants in my life overall, but I can recall being in Chicago with some of my wife's uncles who are very well-to-do and run in higher social circles than I, and they took us to this Italian restaurant where the entire menu was in Italian. I basically just had to say, give me something pasta-ish with sauce and meat, and I will be fine, and bring the breadsticks. Like, that's where, that, that's my level of sophistication, my blue-collar roots, and when we got to the end of the meal, it was delicious. It was some of the best food I'd ever had. And something I appreciated was that one of Sarah's uncles, like he agreed it was a great meal, but he made sure to tell the waiter, hey, can you just give my appreciation to the chef? Let them know this is awesome. This was great. Just express our appreciation to them. And apparently sometimes the chef will actually come out and, and, and greet people, you know. And that's the mindset this leper had. He was like, I'm not going to get so caught up in the benefits that I don't look and see the benefactor, the one it came from. And we shouldn't either. Now, here's what's great about this, right? Y'all have been most gracious. I, uh, I've got tunnel vision right now, and uh, I'm just thankful that God, God's kind of pulling me through here. But we're almost to the spot where it makes sense of saying, huh, all right, so how does this passage speak to me? I live in the 21st century. I'm here what am I supposed to do with this? Well, the way that Luke frames this last couple of verses is genius, and it points us in a certain direction. So here's what Jesus says to the Samaritan leper. Verse 17, Jesus asked, we're not all 10 cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? And then he said to him, rise and go, your faith has made you well. 
See, there's no doubt Jesus probably has a huge entourage with him. You think 12 disciples, probably some women following, whoever's house he's staying at in the village, maybe other people, there's this leper. There's a big cadre of people. But when you look at how he frames the story, all the other characters, they're pulled to the background. He takes them off the stage, except for this one Samaritan man. And it's almost like Luke's trying to put an emphasis on these questions like, hey, Jesus is asking this Samaritan guy these questions but you need to feel the weight of these questions. You need to think about how heavy it lands when Jesus objects to this. You need to struggle with what this means for you. From a literary standpoint, Luke's brilliant. So listen to this question. We're not all ten cleansed. Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? It makes you ask, okay, So these nine men were healed. They were missing something. There was a deeper level of healing that apparently this one guy had in this faith. They were swinging and missing. Most nine of the ten, they were swinging and missing. They did not realize this isn't just a reconciliation society. This isn't just a body that feels better. This is literally reconciliation with God. It is an invitation. Come close to the healer. Enjoy the healing, but don't forget where it came from. So I would ask, where do you find yourself now? If you aimed those questions at your own heart, where are you? Are you one of the nine that maybe you say, yeah, God's done some good stuff in my life. I've embraced the good stuff, but you know, I haven't really credited him, haven't shown gratitude, really. Or are you one of the one that you say, no, every day I'm waking up and I surrender it all to him. He's getting the credit. I recognize his authority and I'm going to thank him for that. question we need to ask. Are you the one or are you the nine? Because what Jesus tells the Samaritan, this last little word, this is so cool. In verse 19, he says what? This translation says, your faith has made you well. And the word there, made you well, in Greek, I think it's sozo, and it, it means saved you. So pretty much Jesus says, your faith has saved you. And Jesus does this four different times when he's healing people. Four different times he'll say, your faith saved you. Your faith made you well. And every time Jesus is pointing to the fact, this is bigger than your body. This is bigger than your friends. This is about your soul. This is about your salvation. Because folks who were saved, they saw way more. They were the ones who saw the healer for who he really was. They were the ones who saw, man, apparently there's some new kind of kingdom that's coming. It's coming. And this guy's bringing it. This Jesus is bringing it. That Samaritan leper, he had faith. Jesus showed mercy, and he responded faithfully. And because of that faith, he was saved. If he was around some 30 years later, when Paul wrote the letter to the Ephesians, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and Paul said, it's by grace you've been saved through faith. And this isn't from yourselves. It's the gift of God. I just picture that leper being there, old man, former leper, saying, darn straight it is. It was by grace I was saved through faith. And it wasn't for me. It was a gift of God to me from Jesus on that day. And so, we've kind of asked these questions. The band's going to head up here. We're going to have a few minutes to chew on this a little bit, right? Today's passage, we kind of covered a few different things, some insights. You know, first of all, Jesus, he does see rejected people that the world overlooks. So if you feel overlooked, He sees you as you sit here. 
we said it's way easier to have faith when you're sick than when you're well. If you feel like you don't have it together, you're struggling, or you're literally physically sick, you're on the doorstep of faithfulness, y'all. And we said the real prize for us, it's not the healing, although healing is wonderful, the real prize is the healer. You know what? I'm circling back to the beginning. You know what the name Jason meant in Greek? It means healer. And I watched that guy for 20 years be the one. I watched him be the one. Imperfect as he was, he was always recognizing that it was God who was doing it. He did not get so caught up in what God was doing and the healing he was bringing. He always gave credit to the healer. So my challenge for you would be, you know what, I don't know if you resonate with the one, I don't know if you resonate with the nine, but why don't we all take a page from the leper's book? What did they do? They cried out to Jesus, they listened to what he said, and then they obeyed. So if you're in the place and you say, yep, I answered it, I'm in the place of the nine, I embraced the healing, haven't really embraced the healer, you know what, admit it. Show Jesus in the next minutes during this response time. Just say, Lord, I'm so thankful for what you've done. And cry out, Lord, give me eyes to see what you've done. Give me the faith that I need to see who you are, be who I'm supposed to be, and do what you made me to do. Give me the faith to respond faithfully. And if you've never really given Jesus a shot, but you say, you know, I think I'm in. I think that sounds great. You know what? We can help you out with that. Cry out to him, surrender to him, and catch one of us. Catch me or somebody else afterwards, and we'll talk to you about that. But if you're in the place of the one and you say, you know, I actually would say, I see what he's done. I see what he's given me. I know who he is. Then cry out to him, Lord, keep giving me your eyes. Keep letting me see things the way you see them. Grow my faith, and here's the rest of what I have to give. Here's the pieces that I haven't surrendered to you yet. Do that. And you know what? If you're in need of specific prayer, physical, emotional, you know what? Swing up here by the prayer room. We'd love to pray over you and ask God to heal you today. So I'm going to pray. I'm going to start this time of prayer as we get ready to talk to Jesus. Let's just be honest with him. Lord Jesus, Father, I've done the best I can We've all done the best we can. We've, we've looked at what you did and what you said. And Holy Spirit, we're trusting you that you're going to give us the nudge that we need right now. I pray, God, that as we enter this time and the music plays and we talk to you, give us the ability to cry out to you. Give us the ability to hear you and show us what it looks like to surrender and obey. Jesus, we come to you right now with gratitude. I can't believe just, God, just the stuff you're doing in Shelby County, the lives you're changing. It's amazing, God. We thank you for it. We praise it. We testify to it, Lord, just as, as Brandon and folks were doing earlier. And I pray now, Lord as we honestly come, either as one of the nine or one of the one, I pray you'll bring us to a place. Give us faith. 
to respond faithfully, do the heart work and the mind work that we can't do on our own. We want to be different people. Jesus, thank you for this place. Thank you for our family. God, I thank you for people like Jason who lived a life that showed we can do this. We can see you for the healer that you are. God, as we enter this time, will you just speak loudly? You know what we need. I just ask you to provide it. In your name we pray together, out loud. Amen. Let's spend some time with Jesus.